So this is episode one. This is the very first episode of mine and Jamie's podcast, Safe Harbour. And we thought it'd be really nice to kick things off by letting you know a bit about who we are. And we're going to be not boring you to death with our entire life journey, but we're two coaches, two men who live in sort of strange, unprecedented times with coronavirus and all sorts of things happening around us. And we thought it'd be really nice to let you know who we are. And so we want to go into a bit of our path or our journey, if you like, in this first episode to how we became coaches and what it is that we do. I'm really excited to be doing this. This is really cool. Sat in my office in my garden and it's raining on a, uh, an October afternoon. Got some new technology to play with. Got yeah. my new microphone. <laughs> it's quite exciting. Yeah. Um, yeah, we just uh, we just spent a little while setting things up nicely there. We think it's like important to get the quality right you know, if you're going to do a podcast. And I'm a bit of a perfectionist when it comes to these things, and that will probably come out in subsequent episodes. <laughs> this is our first conversation for Safe Harbour, and it feels mm. a really special time in history for me as a man to be sat behind this microphone talking to you, Phil, about what it is to be a man right now and... Um, yeah, this feels quite a privilege to sit here with you and chew the fat about what that is for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a really strange and unusual time, but also a really fascinating time. There's so many things that are happening out there which um, are unprecedented and difficult and challenging, but it, it stirs things up, doesn't it? Cool. Yeah, it's been a funny old, what, how many months has it been now in terms of lockdown? It's been quite a while, hasn't it? Yeah, quite a time. Yeah, time of uncertainty. Yeah, mm. crazy. Yeah. Brings up all manner of things. Like I suppose we'll go into that as we as we chat mm. further. But to utilize this time for this first show, for you listening in to get to know us a little bit better. So we're gonna we had this conversation beforehand where we thought it'd be really nice to actually talk a little bit about of our a bit about our journey to becoming coaches and and a little bit maybe starting off from school and the and the choices that we made at that time and what kind of careers we pointed ourselves at. Mm, yeah, good place to start, right at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, right at the beginning, without boring you, everyone who's listening to death. And of course we won't, you know, hopefully. <laughs> but hopefully you can find some um, interesting kind of pointers in your own life as well as you kind of listen to, to maybe what we, what we kind of did and the decisions we made as well. So who knows, mm. let's just jump into it. Okay. Mm. So maybe, I don't know if you want to kick off, Jamie. Like, Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. I'm kind of chomping at the bit, thinking of... Um, so, yeah, if I go back to school, like, I followed the, the complete traditional route of what I thought the route was to go, which is do as well as I can at school, get my GCSEs, go to college, which I did, all of this, go to college, a design college. So I did the design college. Then and the next thing that the narrative told me I was supposed to do was go to university, which I did. But the trend of anyone in my family has never gone to the university, never since. I'm the only ch- child in my entire family that went to university. Went to university for four years to do a furniture and product design degree. Mm. Got my degree, got a 2-1. As a dyslexic, I was like, blew me away. And then did the next part of the narrative, which was go and get a job, a design job on the outskirts of London, then get a house, then meet a woman, then get married, 
Wow. Whoa, fast forward. Yeah, come back. Yeah, but I, <laughs> cool. Uh, but I, but yeah. I, my point is I did the narrative thing of like, that's what I thought, that's what you do as a man because that yeah. was that was what my dad sort of aspired to for me. And that's, and that's, so that's what I did. But going back to school, if, um, yeah, that, that time at school was quite tough actually, because mm-hmm. I just fitted in. I, I just fitted in. Wow. Mm. When, when you say you just fitted in, it's kind of, can you say more about that? Like, you know, when you say that, it makes me feel like you, you modified your behavior to be uh, yeah. acceptable. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was in with the cool kids, so I was very lucky that I didn't get bullied or anything like that, but mm. there was an image to uphold and I had to fit in. I had to have the right hairstyle. I had to get the earring in both ears mm. and, you know, the fluorescent socks and I had to look cool all the time, you know, that sort of fitting in. There was yeah. a pressure, a real pressure as a young teenager mm-hmm. to look cool all the time. And it took me like three quarters of an hour to do my hair in the morning before I left the house. <laughs> <laughs> so this is kind of in the eighties, right? Cause you're 44 now. Yeah. I'm 45 now. So 45. yeah, that would be, yeah. Eighties. Yeah. I guess okay. late eighties, I suppose. Mm, late yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah. just thinking of fluorescent socks, man. A little bit jealous of that. <laughs> We're the same you, age though, right? Well, I'm 48. Yeah. Yeah, you're a little bit older than me, that's mm, right. A little yeah. bit older, but sort of same generation. I think we had very similar experiences by way of um, you know, GCSEs. I, I was the first year of GCSEs, actually. Uh, we were the guinea pigs for it. And then it came out very mixed, you know, our results. Yeah. But, but just going back to you for a moment, like, um, yeah, say more about Did you know that you were... In with the cool kids, or was it just something you did naturally? Did you modify that behaviour like uh, intentionally, or was it just natural? That's a good question. I think if I go back, I'm I'm picturing that time now, kind of embodying it myself. Like imagining I've got my eyes closed right now, trying to imagine myself as that teenager, mm. and it actually just felt natural. I was, I was kind of just doing what I felt I should do. I was, I was fun. I was the joker in the class I was always getting in trouble for mm. drawing penises on desks and <laughs> stuff like that you know classic teenager stuff a bit like that in between us the right, thing that used similar. to come on tv exactly like that we were just <laughs> idiots <laughs> but I was always trying to look cool you know yeah. and that kind of followed me around for quite a few years you know oh Jamie's all right he's cool isn't he you know and, and that and I really wore that all the time you know yeah. i never knew when to shut up and it wasn't until i got older i was like okay i need to okay. tame this superpower that i have to make people laugh and yeah because i used to overcompensate with it you know do you know what i found interesting with what you said there was that yeah. i was the class clown as well mm. i was very much the class clown you know and um, i i uh do you know just briefly it, you know a friend of mine uh, from school alan a uh, really good guy. We were really, really close back then. He uploaded some photos, actually, uh, that he took on his little, you know, it, it, it wind on camera, disposable yeah. almost, I think it was. <laughs> uh, and he, he uploaded some scans that he put on Facebook the other day of, uh, of school days. It was the last day of secondary school. And I saw this guy in the pictures, and it was me. And I was like, oh, poor fellow. I remember how difficult that was for you. You know, yeah. you national health glasses or big wireframe glasses, thick, yeah. you know, thick glasses or thick lenses. I was very short-sighted and I still am. And it was a little bit overweight and he just looked a little bit like he had a bit of a thousand-yard stare. But I just remember how much I modified my behavior to make sure I was funny and liked. Right. Yeah. So when you mentioned humor, I was like, oh, that resonates for me. Yeah. 
what what was the humor for you because for me it was a, a way to um escape and get used to get me out of trouble what was it for you what was your mm. use of humor well i didn't think that i was good enough you know i right. thought i looked you know very you know not particularly attractive or appealing to girls i thought i you know i had a bit of a bowl haircut and you know and i used to really dread seeing photographs of me back then you know it's just oh my god what am i doing mm. sort of dabbling with having some decent trainers on i, I knew i knew that you know, i bought some nike wimbledon they were really nice they had these blue ticks on them and i remember it was the first trainers i bought I went, yeah these are cool <laughs> a lot of respect for them but i think the humor for me it was like kind of well if i can't adjust how i look physically if i can't alter to become like the cool kids here then i can what can I do something about that is going to be appealing so that I won't yeah. be rejected? It wasn't that people were rejecting me. I had a huge fear of being rejected, though. Mm. Uh, it was preemptive almost. So my my humor adapted. I noticed that people laughed at me when I was a bit you know, you know, kooky and I was a bit eccentric and I was, and I was doing things that I shouldn't do. So it wasn't that I was getting into mad trouble, but I was... Um, my my humor and the more that i refined it the more that i was attentive to what other people were laughing at became my superpower yeah yeah and an endorphin hit if that's the right word i was like ah oh, good look no, john's just laughed at that yeah i feel safer now good i'll yeah. do more of that yeah yeah that's a big tick do more of that exactly do more of that and less of this and the less of what was what was the version of for you to do less of you know like when I work with teenagers or I speak to teenagers about uh, like taking a pair of scissors and snipping mm. that part of yourself. Okay, mm. that didn't work. So I'll snip that off. I won't do that Let's again. See. Yeah. What was, what were your things that you decided, okay, yeah, I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to snip that away. I'm not going to be seen. I'm going to put the spotlight on you because uh, I was, I was really uh, scared of my physical appearance as in, you know, uh, I wasn't ugly or anything like this, but it wasn't who I was. It was, this is not who I am inside, and I felt less than pretty much most other boys there, you know? Right. I, I felt they were more handsome, I felt they were more kind of manly, and, and I was sensitive, and I was, um, I felt things, you know? Mm. And I, I suppose I, I kind of bypassed or built up a barrier to protect those, a shield to protect those through being funny, through modifying my humor. And it was all about pointing the spotlight on the you, on on this person, on yeah. on that person over there, on them, and celebrating them, making them feel really good about themselves. And if they did yeah. that, then they wouldn't have time to pick holes in me or yeah. point out what I was most fearful of in myself. Mm. And what did that what did that cost you? Um, it was interesting because I had to really work through that, and and you know, moving yeah. on, maybe if sort of step a few rungs up the ladder and getting older. Mm. As I got older. Dating became quite a strange thing. I was always like, um, you know, when I discovered contact lenses, I felt suddenly like I had control of my appearance and I was able to kind of do something about the physicality that I didn't think I could do something about. So that was quite revelatory for me. My first job was at um, a theme park called Thought Park. I don't know if you've heard of, heard of it. Thought Park. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I used to work in the... In the Classic like, 80s. Yeah, it was. That. It was, totally. <laughs> And I used to work in the roller rink and the ice cream vans. And I remember this girl, she told me like, you know, you can get contact lenses if you wish, you know. And I said, oh, cool, can I? So I tried them out and I thought I was too short-sighted for those and I got them. And I thought, wow, I actually have some control here. I have something I can do something. 
about. Mm. It's almost like taking back control of my physicality. Yeah. I didn't like the fact that I couldn't control these things. And yet no one had pointed them out. Yeah. It was more me. <laughs> <laughs> control is not something teenagers have a lot of, is it? There's yeah. a lot of, you know, especially at school. Mm. I, I remember like that, that thing at school of just feeling powerless, that, mm. that being told what to do all the time. Mm. You know, so like I, that really resonates with me when I hear you say like, that this is something I'd control over. I could, uh, and fashion, you know, same thing. And I guess yeah. that's why as teenagers, we used to really like push boundaries with it, with, with fashion. And I look at yeah. some of the pictures back of, back in that time and especially in the nineties, Christ. So those <laughs> like red trainers and bell bottom jeans and yeah. curtain haircuts. Remember curtain haircuts? I do. I do. Indeed. Yeah. yeah. I actually did actually have hair once upon a time, if you can oh. imagine me with hair. And so when you were it's at school, insane. like, did you find that it was overall sort of like high altitude view on school? Did you, did you, what, what did you enjoy about it? And what, what didn't you enjoy? Mm, good question. I enjoyed, I really enjoyed the camaraderie, you know, that kind of um, free abandonment to just, I remember just laughing till, till I couldn't breathe, kind of laughing sometimes with my mates, you know, mm and taking the mick out of girls and all that kind of teenage stuff, just like that in between is thing that came on channel four, yeah. exactly like that. What I didn't like about it was I was, I am a creative left brain thinker. Mm. And so my creativity was really squashed at school mm. and I was never allowed to really sort of flourish. I was putting all the medium mid range sets and the, the message I got at school was you're just mediocre. Wow. And that really, Oh, made me it just now it just gave me goosebumps just mm -hmm. because I wasn't academic and I wasn't my creativity wasn't allowed to be set free you know mm. I mean if I was to go to a Steiner school if, like my kids did in the early stages now they've been home educated never set foot in a school really mm. um, if I was to do my time again I would have picked up guitars and you know I'd been into music and all mm. kinds of stuff but we just I just never had that opportunity so I feel really resentful to mm. have grown up in that time having not had that chance to be creative we haven't really spoken about this before you and I our early days like this and I'm no. just noticing how similar how similar I really was yeah which I guess makes sense because mm. we're such great friends you know that mm. it's just it sounds so similar it's it's uh it's kind of interesting formative you know, origin stories and just like, wow, I wonder if that is why we're so similar. You know, we, we've yeah. sort of been shaped and we've become very similar people who understand each other because we've had very similar backgrounds in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. How was your experience, you know, like to, to, to turn that question back to you? What yeah. did you enjoy about school and what did you not enjoy about school? Um, I, uh, I didn't, dislike school i didn't hate it but do you know what's so interesting because i was i'm i am creative and i love innovation and I, and I love ideation and thinking new ideas and strategies and pulling all the points together and i wasn't academic i wasn't celebrated for being good at academia and i wasn't i remember once in a maths class that really stuck with me and was pivotal it's a pivotal moment i think we've all had one of these experiences um I had a math teacher called Mrs. Taylor. And um, she, I remember her saying to me once, like, you're useless at maths, aren't you? Ooh. Ooh, I know, right? Okay, and I remember the decision that I internally felt, the immediate response was, wow, that was really painful. 
It was like mm. a punch in the gut. And then she said it publicly as well, you know, from the front of the class to me, pointing at me, you're useless at maths, aren't you? Mm. And it wasn't like what you just did wasn't good enough or you hadn't been concentrating in this lesson. It wasn't contextual. It was, you are useless at this particular subject. Yeah, and total shame. Total shame in publicly in front of my peers. Mm. But more importantly, I, I shut down and I felt like, wow, that's a, basically she's telling me that I shouldn't pursue this because I'm useless at it. I can't get better at it. Yeah. You know, I don't have the capacity. So the decision I made based upon that was, okay, screw you. Uh, subconsciously, I didn't know I was intentionally doing this. Screw you, I'm going the opposite way and I'm going to be creative as hell. Yeah. And I loved art, I love multimedia, I love creativity, you know, CDT design technology, which was woodwork and metalwork. Yeah. I loved all that stuff. Me too. Um, and I went that way anyway because I enjoyed it, but more importantly, I utterly left behind academia by way of physics and science and but you know those things where it kind of like it falls into the camp of having this logical mind which is able mm. to problem solve based upon memory predominantly and i'm no good at that because this 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 teacher who is knows better than me she's an adult and there's a figure of authority told me so so why bother yeah yeah so I'll snip that part off Oof. snip off it goes yeah never to be seen again locked away until eventually we become appropriate versions of ourselves to go out into the world and this two-dimensional version, which is really good at remembering stuff. Yeah. <laughs> or not. I had to do are. a lot of work around that, actually. Um, yeah. I think maybe maybe fast-forwarding and just sort of going into college. So I then, like you were just saying, I pursued, uh, I did uh, A-levels, art and design, I think it was, and then I also did some GCSEs to kind of catch up and try and, um, you know, heal that puncture, if you like, with maths. Mm. And <laughs> I'm never going to be particularly good at this. It wasn't that I wasn't good at it. I was just not interested in in, in recital of what was already known, you know, proving yeah. you can work this formula out. I'm like, I'm yeah. just not interested. Um, and I felt a lot of shame around that, actually, because I, I couldn't make myself interested. You know, my parents were very kind of open and liberal and, and they were like, yeah, sure, you know, um, do what you can kind of thing, which was very kind mm. of them. But it meant I never had to buck my ideas up, as it were, to get better at it. Um, and I don't regret it. It's fine. But just, you know, fast forwarding through to college, A-levels, did A-levels, uh, kind of enjoyed the creative slant on that, and then did a B-tech in, uh, in uh, graphic design. And yeah, I pursued the, pursued the path of graphic design for, you know, um, a good 18 years after that, actually. Yeah. yeah. It was a really interesting, exciting time with the web design era you know mid mid 2000s yeah that's when it all kicked off really it was man yeah i was in covent garden i was in an awesome little company there was just myself was uh, so so a guy called marcus set it up really great guy it's such fun together he set it up um everybody but everybody wanted a website at that time you know it's yeah. like we need to get <laughs> online it's like do you know why <laughs> i have no idea why we need a website <laughs> it's like a gold rush yeah, it was. It really there was, was so much work you can cope with it. I bet, right? It was a gold rush time. Yeah, completely. So there was Marcus, and there was a guy called Paul, who's another good friend of mine. And uh, so basically, it was like back in the early days of like real skeleton crew. So Marcus was the boss. He was the guy who set it up. He was an incredible salesman, really good at marketing. He was like the Don Draper of you know advertising. It's like everybody <laughs> went to him. He had such charisma and charm. 
then there was Paul, who's incredibly uh, good at tech, you know, and, and, and you know, systems architecture and, and building websites, and building databases. And so you, they needed a creative. And so, you know, I went along and I was the creative component of, of this trinity. And, and we do some amazing work and it was good fun. You know, we were working in Marcus's parents' basement in, in Fulham and it was a lovely place. And I just have incredibly good memories of that over-caffeinated dial-up <laughs> modems <laughs> it was awesome did you feel like you were riding the crest of a, a, a new wave at that time or did you not re- even realize yeah how did definitely it feel did. definitely yeah. did no i was having fun i was having real fun and um we were all having fun it was you know uh, clients would come in big clients as well you know from big companies that you would know the names of and uh, you know they were coming into our little basement you know these these are big movers and shakers and, and yeah. we were doing websites for them and we were coming up with some really innovative stuff really creative stuff you know so i was doing concepts in photoshop and then of course you know we didn't really know at the time that we we're in the thick of it we knew something was coming and it was a brand new beautiful frontier yeah and um so what about cool. your kind of, you know, moving into the adult career? What happened there? Oh, um, yeah, like I said at the beginning, my little snapshot version at the beginning was I went to college, did uh, industrial design, and then from there uh, went on to university. I actually lived at home because I went to Nottingham Trent University, which had the best ah. uh, furniture and product design um, degree in the country. Mm. second to Ravensbourne, I think, or somewhere. Mm. But I was living at home, and um, I had a girlfriend at the time. And looking back, I was like, I'm thinking, like, why the hell did you do that? Why did you go to university and then stay at home and have a girlfriend at home? <laughs> you know, that's kind of one of the upsides of going to university, partying and doing all that stuff. But oh, I see. Yeah. I, I, I stayed at home for the first two years, I think, and travelled mm. traveled there in my little mini. I had this gorgeous little mini that me and my old man had renovated. Wow. That was my baby. And um it had a roll cage in it and all the seats were taken out and bucket seats. Yeah, it was all checker plate. It sounded like <laughs> a you know, like it could go to the moon. It was so powerful, but it only went about sixty mile an hour flat out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I go to college, go to uni and that every day and and then for the fi- then the third year I went to work in industry. Mm-hmm. I went to um an interview down in Reading for this company. Mm. And um there were seven of us went down in my mate's mum's car for this interview. And I was and the seven guys mm. and I stood over the desk and showed this guy my portfolio. And two days later, I got a phone call to say I'd got the job. And I was really excited because it wow. was a paid job. It was a thousand pound a month paid job. Wow. Um, and anyone else in, you know, a year out didn't get paid. So anyway, it turned out that I said, so why, why did I get the job? Why did you choose me over everyone else? He said, mm. because you were the only person who stood over the desk, stood over my desk and showed me your portfolio. Wow. Everyone else sat down and showed me their portfolio. Jeez. And that gave me goosebumps. And he said, you told me you were going to get that job. He said, <laughs> that's, that's how confident I was in your confidence. And that... It, that was a, and so that, so I stayed in this company for I don't know five years, and I learnt, I cut my teeth with this guy. Basically, it was just me and him and a and a and a carpenter in the beginning, and we were doing interiors. And before we knew it, we had fifteen fitters, six designers, and I was going up to London every week, you know, sitting in boardrooms with big companies designing interiors, and mm. and then one day I just realised I'm not a designer anymore. I'm just a salesperson. Mm. 
why am I doing this still? You know, these designers that work under me are getting all the cool stuff. They're doing the fun designs and I'm just going up and getting the boss to sign the check. So I, yeah, I decided not to do it anymore, but it was a real, a real long journey of um, cutting my teeth on how to run a business with this guy. Yeah. And he's, he really did show me fearlessness. He taught me fearlessness. You know, he would say, we'd go into a meeting and he was a yes man. You know, we'd, we'd sit in front of the, the managing director or the CEO and this guy would say, yeah, can you make this glass brick wall as high all the way up there and mm. put a lift inside it and a, you know, a fountain of gold. <laughs> you know, we just look at each other and he'd say, yeah, yeah, we could do that. And I go, what? <laughs> we can't do that in my head. Great. And he'd shake hands and we'd walk out. And I said, how are we going to do that? He said, oh, I'll work that out later. Come on, we're going to get this job. And there's just this fearlessness that really, really landed with me and really taught me. And then we would get the job. We'd get the phone call 48 hours later and we'd both get up on the desk, you know, up on his desk in his office and crack open some wine and go, yeah, I've got the job. Wow. And all the fitters would go, yeah, but how are we going to do it? Well, that's your problem now. <laughs> So that was a really good time. I really enjoyed that time in my life. I was in my early 20s and mm. had BMW after BMW, oh, brand really? new one after brand new one. And wow. Yeah. It was a real, I had no money because I used to spend it all going okay. out partying and stuff. But I'm glad I got that out of the way nice yeah. and early in my life and realized <laughs> that that doesn't make, make us happy. Fancy cars and big TVs yeah. and going out partying. I'm glad I did that early. Mm. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Our company was bought and absorbed into a large, 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 second largest PR company in the world, I think. Wow. And they were, so we were pretty big back then. We had around about, I don't know, 20, 25 staff. We became the digital wing of this company. And right. it was like, whoa, this is, you know, we were kind of lost in this sea of amazing office in Victoria, which had Eames chairs and everything, glass walls proper. We might have fitted that out. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, mate. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, it was, it was fascinating because at first it was like brave new world. And then, and then I started to recognize that, you know, because I came a, became a creative director and I was suddenly in charge of people. How do I do this? And these people, my friends, they were colleagues. I'd kind of, uh, I've gone, gone up the ranks in a way and I'd, I'd become the creative director of three members of staff who were designers and they were my friends and beforehand I was in parallel with them so how do I do that step I don't know how to yeah. be a good leader to them and also I feel really uncomfortable telling them what to do I feel very uncomfortable mm. with that so I remember yeah. seeking out um some training in leadership <laughs> and emotional intelligence and I remember doing that and it was okay didn't really teach me what I needed because it was too generic and so what happened was I did the course and I thought well I got a bit of training budget to spend elsewhere and I'm I'm I was watching some inspirational videos at the time by a guy called Nick Askew. He's not related to me, but um, we have subsequently met. And he was doing these incredible videos, which were called Monday 9am videos, just talking heads of people, what they're up to in the world, talking through their purpose, talking through what influence and impact that they're, they're having, reflections and thoughts. It was really beautiful, mm. inspiring videos. And there was one uh, lady who, uh, yeah, she was a, a young Scottish woman who was a life coach. And I didn't know what a life coach was but I thought yeah I'm going to pursue this this she's just not too far down the road and I headed off um onto her website checked it out and I thought oh they do this thing called free sample sessions so we're going to have a 45 minute chat I thought okay I'm going to check it out see what it's all about I remember going along there and in my lunch hour and just traipsing along into Holborn I think it was and jumping on the tube and getting into the office and I remember sitting down with her in her office and immediately I felt this sense of safety and calm as she sort of looked at me and said so 
you know, what do you want to do with your life? And I was like, well, I'm a designer. Yeah, I know, but what do you want to do with it? You know, you're not the you're not the end result of your CV necessarily. You can you can choose. You get to choose. I was like, oh, I like this. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is inspirational. And uh, so it's kind of yeah. We had a we had a few sessions there. I think I worked with her for six months or so, and then it was just I knew pretty much after four or five sessions that this is the vocation I wanted to pursue. I wanted to retrain to do this not only for my own well-being and my own sense of identity uh, being at choice and doing something for me that's going to make me happy and fulfilled because that's what was lacking in the creative world now I'd burnt through that there was nothing more to attain and also to be able to help other people with that as well where they felt as if they were stuck where they felt as if they they were the end result and of their cv so that's kind of how I discovered coaching wow Mm. just by chance really yeah, curiosity and pursuit of kind of there must be something more. Mm. And how about you? How did you transition from where you were? Well, it was a long, a long time before I, well, I went traveling after the, the whole interiors business thing. And um, it went off me and my wife, you know, I'll skip all the meeting my wife part. And, mm. um, but we went off, uh, <laughs> just caught myself saying that. Yeah. I just skipped my wife, it meeting my wife. <laughs> <laughs> so then we went off traveling around India and Thailand and oh, a good wow. six months of traveling. And, and I actually had a, a bit of a, oh, it was a bit of a breakdown. It was an actual breakdown at mm. mid, like a 27, I was classic 27 year old. Mm. What do they call that? They call that, uh, it's a moon cycle, I think. And um, which at the time I was like sort of mumbo jumbo, but nowadays that there are so many crises that happen at that age. So I was 27 and I was in Thailand and on a beach and just crying at the Mm. sunset and going, why am I crying? This is incredible. And just felt this real deep wave of um, sadness. And um, I now know that that was my first experience of depression. Um, But we came, so we came back from there and... At that time, I was really pondering around this depression thing, going, what was that? Mm. Where did that come from? And questioning, like, oh, well, I had a really good childhood. And, you know, like this classic, well, it must have, you know, like I heard of if people have had bad childhoods and then that's they get depression. I, but I didn't, you know, I was trying to work it out in my head. And But then I came across this leadership thing. It's um, CTI leadership, the, 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 the people who I trained with and who you trained with. And mm. I, it kind of came to me at a point when I just sold my tiny little flat in Nottingham uh, and me and my wife bought a house together. So I, I'd sold this flat. It was just a pain in the neck. It just, the boiler kept leaking and, <laughs> and I was going to sell it anyway. And so anyway, I'd got about 20 grand mm. equity out of it. Not a lot, but it was just cut my losses, be done with it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I'm going to chuck some of this money at myself and I'm going to go and do this big bit of work, which is a year-long leadership program. Yeah. And I remember at the time it was somewhere like ten or £12,000. And my dad had a fit when I told him. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> you I know you can buy a nice car for that. I said, yeah, I've had nice cars, Dad. That's the point, you know. <laughs> this is why I'm doing it, because I'm yeah. sick of the nice cars. They're not making me happy. I need to go and do something. Mm-hmm. And it just called to me. You know, we've all had those call-ins and ignored yeah. them, but this one, I couldn't ignore it. And I chucked my money down on the table and I went out there. And that was it. That that was the beginning. It was a four, as you know, you've done it. It's a four, one-week retreat mm. experience in in Spain in this beautiful big house. And what it did when I came back after the retreat number one, I came back and I put my key in the door and Joe, my wife, was at the door and I fell through the door onto my knees and sobbed. Mm. Wow, it's making me emotional just remembering it. Um, 
And I just crawled into the house and she said, darling, what's the matter? And I just said, I don't know who I, I, don't know who I am anymore. <laughs> and um, it really cracked me wide open. It had me think, wow. Yeah. I had no idea that Jamie was inside crying to come out, you know. Desperately, I'd just been walking around with this version, version of myself that, not that I wanted to get rid of, but just I saw through life through a completely different lens. You know, the humor thing, I'd been carrying humor around all my life as protection to protect me and to get me out of trouble. And actually that humor was my superpower and I just, I just didn't know how to use it. You know, and that's just one example from that week one retreat. And I thought, wow, I've got three more of these left to do over a year. Yeah. You know, that's a, yeah. I see where that 12 grand goes now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they were all coaches, pretty much every participant on that program, apart from me, were coaches. And that's what made me think, wow, this is like, this is like coming to Jedi school. <laughs> I got a, a window into like the front of house leaders were uh, Sam House and Elaine and they were just like masters they were like master Jedis to me and I was just sat there with my mouth open how they could mm-hmm. tap into the human consciousness of of what was possible and how it was a playground for us all to sort of peel back layer after layer after layer and cry and laugh and make a mess and full permission to just let go and just see what happens. And that's what I love about coaching. That's what I want for my clients is that free abandonment to just play and let go of all that stuff and see what's possible, you know, Mm. and it doesn't cost you 12 grand. (laughs) (laughs) My fees aren't 12 grand, (laughs) you know, but it is that kind of just let's play. And that's what I, that was my first experience. That's, that's my answer to your question. And and then there was a big gap in between, but maybe we'll talk about that another time. Yeah, I'm sure. This is just the first episode, of course. It was, um, it's like I grew up in that moment. It felt like a rite of passage, like becoming a man, Mm. becoming a leader. I was, I'd just become a dad at that point. So I had a a, a one-year-old daughter. And so there was this, I need to do something I need to be in service. It's not all about me anymore. I have a daughter. I have a wife. Mm -hmm. I have a journey for the next 50, 60 years of my life. Forget the BMWs. Let's go this route instead. It just comes to us sometimes, the, 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 whole, the, the fracture in, in our realities. I think when we've persisted with something which, which on the surface should be celebrated as in, wow, I've got the BMWs, I've got them. But I feel hollow. I feel like, what's mm. the point? There's this yearning in me which is just not being realized through these things. And no matter what I do, they used to call me the summoner, summoner of packages when mm. I was working because I would order from Amazon all the time to try and give myself presents or gifts because I deserved it. And I spent a fortune on those things. They would just keep turning up. <laughs> right. now. Opening the boxes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I would get these packages. And when I'd get this excitement when they'd arrive and they'd go, wow, look, I wonder what I've got in here. I've got a bit of tech or something. And I wouldn't open it immediately. I'd have it sat there and I'd go, well, at the end of the day, I'll take it home, then open it almost like in private. Mm. I'd open it up and it will be like, I don't know, some little bit of tech. And I'd go, I'd feel this hit of like, wow, this is cool, you know, and I'd hold it and I'd play with it a bit and, and realized it actually wasn't giving me what I needed. Um, there was mm. a short-term hit, but no, it didn't come from there. You know, that's where I, I, 
I had a, in the big arc of my work and the 18 years of being creative, I've realized that my fulfillment, my sense of yearning is not going to be fulfilled in this realm. It just cannot be, it doesn't matter what company I'm working at or who I'm working with and the projects I'm working on in the capacity of being a creative and a designer in this way, I'm never going to feel the sense of arriving home or arriving at a place of meaning. I don't think, you know, and you become a creative director and it's kind of like, that's the top of the pack, really. You can't go much further except owning your own agency. And I, I really didn't want to do that. There's no joy in there. Was there a promise there that, that, that would bring fulfillment to you? Oh, I didn't know. Once you reached creative director, a promise from yourself or externally? Mm. Not externally. No. No, no, no. But from myself, it was just like I was, I was coasting. Mm. I was coasting and it was just, I didn't know which direction to point the vehicle after that. So, okay, well, I've reached this high echelon and there aren't any more titles for me and money was yeah. fine. I, I, I didn't have this sense I needed to accomplish or achieve or anything like that. Beyond this, mm. it was just this weird void, which I felt guilty about feeling because everything on paper looked good and, and my dad, yeah. and my, you know, was... Was, I don't know about proud, but he was certainly like, wow, okay, you got a good job. That's that's all you need in life, you know, yeah. very old school. So I think that was, yeah, that was it. That was the point where I knew I needed to totally pivot and change direction. And coaching was the thing that gave me the, the possibility and the opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it totally resonate with that. Like even my boss at that time, and going back to Mike, just before we finish off, mm. it, it has me, it reminds me of when I would told him I was going to leave this interiors company. Mm. And he said, well, how about we get you a Porsche? Whoa. I said, I, I, said, I don't want, I, it's really kind, uh, mate, but I don't, it's not about that anymore. He went, you know, like a, a convertible one. <laughs> I, I don't want to convert, it's November, mate. It's November. I don't, what do I need a convertible Porsche for? <laughs> you know? But it just it just become a car. Right. Yeah. I'd reached that point. Mm. It couldn't get any higher in that, mm. and, it, and it it felt empty. And even Russell Brand talks about it: the height of his success and fame, and mm -hmm. women and partying and being in movies, and couldn't get any higher. You know, mm. he couldn't. And his addictions and all that, and still empty, completely yeah. empty. So yeah, totally get it. Yeah. yeah. So here we are today as coaches and. We each work with, I suppose, you say, different tribes of people, but also there's crossovers, right? And just to kind of bring this journey, this this first episode to a conclusion, really, just just to kind of speak a little bit about who both myself and, and Jamie work with, uh, kind of not full circle, but arriving at this point we are today, you know. Um, so the people that I work with, I've I've been a coach now for thirteen and a half, nearly fourteen years, and self-employed for all that time. And the people that I work with, I I call conscious entrepreneurs, and it makes sense, you know, because they're I have that entrepreneur spirit, and so do my clients. They they want to do good in the world. They want to have that sense of achievement and feeling like they're doing something that matters. You know, mission and purpose are incredibly important, and. The conscious part is they want to bring all of themselves to it as well. They don't want to leave a trail of dead bodies behind them uh, as they go about doing this this work, this wonderful world work. And so, you know, they're, they're willing to do their own self-development. They're willing to be vulnerable. They're willing to fail forwards, as, as they say. And um, yeah, these are the people I love working with. And it makes sense, you know, having spoken through my whole kind of, you know, the key pivot points in my, in my life arc, life journey, makes sense i'd want to work with these people and help them and support them in that journey too yeah because it's been your hero's journey yourself right yeah yeah mm. yeah i love that i love that um conscious entrepreneur those two mm. words together 
they're, they're, they're fantastic. It really inspired. They, the two words together inspire me mm. to be a conscious entrepreneur. <laughs> um, mm. And I guess that it resonates to me because, yeah, especially as a coach, I want to be conscious in the, in the choices that I make in, as an entrepreneur. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've worked with you and I've worked with um, some, of the, some of the programs and the work that you do with coaches and mm. it's powerful stuff, Phil. It really is. And you are, I, put, I would put you in that echelon of um, Jedi master in, in the work that you do. It's, it's really powerful stuff, wow. which I couldn't do so well until... I'd worked with you in the stuff that you do. Um, oh, thank you. The mate. stuff that you did with me as a coach. Yeah, mm. yeah. It was a really powerful, really powerful cherry on the top. Mm. Um, get me out in, in the world and really speak from my heart, you know, not, not from my head or yeah. what I think I should say as a coach. But when I put my flag in the air and say, yeah. this is what I do, huh. everyone turns my tribe turn yeah. on their heel and look at me i just i'm, I'm glowing when you say that so thank mm. you. it's really nice to actually hear it's very nice mm. to hear that to be in service in that way and you know we'll talk about this in future episodes yeah. of course to be in service in the way that we are you know it's a it's so purposeful it's so yeah that was the big piece that was missing from the creative career for me it was like i'm not making a difference i'm not i'm building beautiful websites and yeah you know we're being paid well for it but i'm not making a difference this does not better the world so tell me about the work that you're doing with men yeah so i i um i decided to just work with men mm. uh, to coach men um it's not a forever thing um and i do have some female clients and i wouldn't turn female clients down but i decided to really niche bring my niche into working with men because of my own background and how i came into coaching and how i ignored my calling for so long to to do the work that I love, which is coaching. It's been my hero's journey as a man to ignore that calling and ignore the signs from what I call the universe. You know, like mm-hmm. I've been in a building industry, I ran an interiors company and did a lot of installation work and taken the end of my thumb off a couple of times and wow. had vans break down and, you know, almost like the, the universe going, will you just stop this and get on with the coaching, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. And get depressed. Only got two thumbs. Come on now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and really getting depressed yeah. by it. You know, I'd done it for so long, for ten years, and the universe just kicking my butt. You know, mm. just going, we just stop this and get on with what it is. You know, you remember you did that leadership thing, right? Mm. Well, that is your calling now, Jamie. Come on, get on with it. So that's why I work with men, especially in this time, especially in this time, um, to really connect and untangle what's going on, you know, for them. And, um, and this is the work that we do in safe Harbor too. Right. So that, you know, that men can really have their voice heard and be seen and, and come with vulnerability as well, because that in, in coaching the vulnerability is, is like, it's a gateway. I, I feel cause I, and I, I do, I coach from the body and I coach from the senses and really connect to that kind of, in a landscape that's just calling out to be mm. seen and heard. Yeah. It really brings to life as men, we push that stuff down and we hide it away. And it's mm. like we were talking about earlier, we, we snip those versions of ourselves and put them neatly away in a box and we get the job and we get the car and we get a Labrador and a, all that stuff. And we become the provider. Mm-hmm. Um, and all that 
creative stuff that we're talking about that you know when i was wasn't allowed to be creative at school i was told you're not good at this you're not good at music you can't sing as men we sort of pack all that stuff away and that's why i want to call that forth in men the work the men that i work with very quick in in early stages of coaching it's like taking a massive deep breath or coming up for air you know it's a bit like the metaphor of coming out of the water and having been holding their breath for decades sometimes and (gasps) coming up for air and then like treading water and going now what's possible from here where do I want to swim to been underwater for three decades here I am where do we go from here Jamie I don't know where do you want to go I can smile in there because this gives me goosebumps has me feel all emotional again because it's it was my own hero's journey to experience exactly that feeling and then coming and doing my coach training and certification and bringing all my leadership stuff back in and all bringing it all into the mix and then working with you. And now I'm like, I'm a Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> now I feel like a Jedi mm-hmm. and uh, that makes me giddy. And, uh, yeah. and yeah, the clients that I work with, are, uh, we have fun, you know, as well. It's not about heavy stuff always. Mm-hmm. There's, I like to have fun with my clients. So that's how I've come to work with men and the safe harbor work that you and I have started. Yeah, that's why we're sat here now on on this podcast as well, yes, right? It is. So that's fantastic. That feels like a really good place for us to wrap this first episode up. Yeah, a nice arc. Yeah, and uh, hopefully we um, we've kept a few listeners listening in there. Yeah. So we just really want to draw this in, and you know, I want to say thank you, Jamie, for this. I think it's it's been a wonderful hour. I've thoroughly enjoyed talking with you. Yeah, me too. Mm. Yeah, really, really, really rich. I really enjoyed it. Really rich. How can people get in touch with you? What's the best way of connecting with you? Um, I have a website, which is www.jamiecoach.com. Yeah, and uh, you can get me on philaskew.com. We keep it super simple here. (laughs) (laughs) Subscribe and uh, we'll be coming up with weekly uh, episodes and uh, we really hope that you'll join us on this journey. And until next episode, take care and be well. Yeah, all the best.